This show is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, the Justice League of board game podcasts. Find out more at Dicetower.com. No. Hello, everybody. We are the Family Gamers. As always, I am your host, Andrew, and I am joined by my lovely and wonderful wife, Anitra. You forgot long suffering. I mean, after that, perhaps. <laughs> this is episode 334 of the Family Gamers podcast, and we are going to be talking about noisy games. Extra fun or parents' worst nightmare. It's probably the second one. <laughs> I mean, growing up, like, not growing up. As an adult, I always said, don't buy the toys that make the noise, and here we are. And yet, here we are. Anyway, we're going to get into this second half of the show, but we've got two facts. Not one, but two facts for our episode number 334. Ooh, can I do the first one? I mean, if you really want to. I do. Okay. On February 16th, 2023, Family Gamers community member Stephanie had to tell her seven-year-old to put her dirty socks in the hamper 334 times before that task actually happened. This was a self-reported fact, 334 <laughs> times. Thank you, yes. Stephanie, for your contribution. We will take just about anything. But in all seriousness, according to census.gov forward slash, I think, pop clock, there are 334 million people in the United States of America as of today. The United States is the third most populous country in the world behind china and india you mean both, india and china well whatever <laughs> and both of them have more than four times the people that the united states has yeah they both have more than a billion which is just i mean those are very large numbers they each have more than a billion i should say yeah you know who yeah. doesn't have a billion is us we do not have a billion <laughs> but hopefully we will have more if we follow the recommendations from our sponsor did you know that when you buy a stock in the stock market, you're buying it from another investor? In fact, for you to be able to buy the stock, you have to be willing to buy at a price that someone else is willing to sell at. In other words, one person in the transaction has to believe the stock is undervalued and worth buying, and the other person has to think the stock is overvalued and it's a good idea to sell at that price. That's a little bit of a simplification since there are other reasons why investors buy and sell at certain prices. As we've seen many times, like with Enron, one individual stock can be really risky. Mutual funds, on the other hand, are bought from and sold to the fund company. But the price is determined by the value of all the underlying stocks and bonds at the close of trading that day. What that means is that you have to put in an order during the trading day without knowing what price the mutual fund will actually be at the end of the day. But mutual funds own a basket of stocks and or bonds, and are thus more diversified and less risky than an individual stock. An exchange-traded fund, or ETF, brings these two things together. It's like a basket of stocks and bonds put together by a fund company, but you buy and sell it from other investors on the stock market. So you get diversification, and you get to decide the price you're willing to pay. If that primer on investments already has you overwhelmed, you may want to get some help with managing your investments. First Move is here to help. Go to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers. 
There you can set up a time to see if they can help you make your first move with investing. Thanks so much to the team at First Move Financial for sponsoring another episode of the Family Gamers podcast. So Anitra, we have been playing lots and lots of games. As we briefly alluded to last week, we went to TantrumCon and we played a lot of games. Yeah, I feel like, I don't know, um, we'll have to talk about them relatively quickly, I suppose. How does that sound? Sure. Okay. I want to start with Key to the Kingdom. Yeah. Key to the Kingdom is a uh, restoration of the classic children's game of the same name. Mm -hmm. It was really cool. Yeah, the thing that I didn't realize about Key to the Kingdom, I never played the original. Me either. I, I knew that this game was definitely a great family game. I didn't have a lot of kind of experience or knowledge of what went into it. It reminded me a lot of something like Shadows Over Camelot, where you kind of have all these various missions to achieve some kind of goal, except this one wasn't really cooperative. Right. So each individual person is trying to go on all of the different missions to get the different key pieces and then go fight the big bad guy. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, you decimated both myself and Jeremy Pike, who played with us. Uh, Yeah, I kind of (laughs) did. But it was a lot of fun. Once we knew what we were doing, the game moved really quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But it is an enormous table hog. Yes. Like this board unfolds and when it's unfolded all the way, it will take up your entire kitchen or dining room table i mean the game is really cool you jump into these whirlpools and they cause the board to kind of unfold out and there's a bunch of extra stuff on the inside of the board it's really really neat and you can make it fold back up too which we didn't do in our game right right but uh we got to play that not only did we get to play that but we also got to play it with jeremy and zach pike our friends of the show yeah so that was a lot of fun a nice way to kick off tantrum con by playing with them Our son, Elliot, got a copy of Coconuts at the con. Yes, he did. So we have played a lot of Coconuts. Yeah, I actually don't know if I put Coconuts on my list, but I did play a bunch of it. You played it at least three times. At least twice. Or maybe three times. I don't even know. (laughs) I played it a bunch. You know what? It's a dumb little dexterity game, but dumb little dexterity games can be fun. Mm -hmm. It was fine. Yeah. Yep. We got a chance to play Similo with Will Meadows. That was entertaining. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. Let's see, we talked last week about Agueda and about Heat. Yes. I got to play Blueprints of a Mad King Ludwig. It was really complicated. <laughs> okay. Not like brain burner, I can't understand what we're doing here complicated, but there was just always a lot of stuff you had to sort through every round. And you're drawing in these blueprints on this super thin like onion skin type paper With a grid on it, thankfully, and the onion skin paper means you can slide in the card of the room that you're going to draw, and it fits perfectly, so you can try to just trace it. (laughs) It was a lot. I don't know how I feel about it, really. It is. I don't think it's a game I would seek out and play again. I wouldn't say no if somebody really wanted to play it with me, but it was just too much. Sure. That's that's my short opinion. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I felt from the small amount of it that I played. We have a copy of Castles of Mad King Ludwig, the original, the OG game. Mm-hmm. And I just have not had, you know, the desire to get it off the shelf. It's basically, it needs to go into the purge pile. It, because I've looked at it, I thought about it. I think the box art is cool, and I just, I, I'm, not, I'm not feeling it at all. And, uh, you know, I just need to accept that and move on. But, I mean, even with blueprints, like... I liked that there was some, you know, roll and righty kind of stuff going on there, but even still, like with the 
taking of the cards and you're supposed to trace them onto the weird onion skin paper and it just it, like the yellow didn't work well and yellow was the color that I was that trying you were to doing get the a lot most of, of yeah. and it just I don't know I feel like there are other games that just are less onerous to play through yeah I think that's it like yeah. nothing about this was really hard or bad it's just that it was like, oh, well, if I do this, I have to remember this restriction and this rule and this rule and I have to do this. It was just a pain in the butt. So it was just a lot of stuff to keep track of and a lot of rules. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, look, if you like those games, you're going to like this. It's kind of more of the same, just with a slightly different you know, take on the genre. So whatever. I got to play Buried Treasure with uh, Ryan. Oh, Buried Treasure is fun. And I think, let's see who else. Uh, two of his kids. Yeah, it was a good time. So that was fun. Also got to play, we got to play Asking for Troubles. We did. Yeah. You heard it here, Mike. We played Asking for Troubles. <laughs> I actually sent him a text message <laughs> during the game saying, current See? status. See? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I definitely think this is a game that I need to play with expansions. Like, the game was very long for only having, like, seven different things that you can do. I think that's because we were all a little slow at that point and there were five of us and we should know by now that learning a mildly complex game at the maximum player count is never going to be a good idea yeah but i mean like i was fine with all the parts of the game i just wish there were more things and options because Mm. there were times when it was like okay well people clearly are going to need ore so we're going to put the pirate on the ore like it was just i just felt like i wanted a little bit more stuff going on i'm wondering if maybe it has been long enough since you really played lords of Waterdeep, not at two players to remember just how confined that game can feel yeah, but at least with Lords of Waterdeep, you can buy buildings and expand it during the course of the even the OG game. None of that exists in Asking for Troubles. Like, the game's fine. I, I'm not saying I have a problem with sure, the game. Sure, sure, sure. I just, for my play style, would have liked more options and more things that I could do. That's all. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Yeah. Uh, let's see. We got a chance to play both Velanimo and Gasha, two of the more recent releases from 25th Century Games. Yep. Velanimo was a lot of fun. Really neat ladder climbing game. Mm-hmm. I uh, really liked Velanimo. I think I liked it better than Gasha. Yeah, Gasha was very well. It was very much what Chad had described it to us as. Like mm-hmm. it is very simple. You're just trying to grab the right toys. It is a straight up set collection game with a little bit of agency and choice <laughs> that your really traditional set collection games are like, well, now I pull this off the deck and I hope it's the right thing. Mm-hmm. At least in Gasha, you can make an informed choice. Right. Next, uh, one of the games that we picked up at Tantrum Con as part of a trade of games is the game Control. Yeah, so I didn't love this the first time we played it, but when we went back and played it again, knowing how it flows better, I think there is a time and a place for this game. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. It's it's not always what I would grab first, but it's one of those really tight two-player games. Every card does something, and every card that you have in your hand makes you make a decision. You know, do I want to play this and get closer to the goal of having 21 on the table? Do I want to play it in a way that uses its effect, which might help me or might hurt you or might do both? Or sometimes hurt everybody? (laughs) (laughs) Or do I want to use it specifically to knock out one of your cards? Which, you know, doesn't help me progress, but it slows you down, hopefully. Mm -hmm. So 
it's really nice that way. It's very tight. You're supposed to play it best two out of three because it's such a short game otherwise and can be kind of unbalanced based on what you draw. Yeah, I think my take on control is it kind of reminds me of Voltage, but more portable. Like it's a very different yeah. game than Voltage, but it has some of the same feel to it. There's a lot of that same like push back pull. and forth. Yeah, sparring kind of thing. Yep. And very much the do I do a thing that helps me or do I do a thing that hurts you? Like mm-hmm. really having to think hard about that every turn. Yeah, there was another game that we played. We had brought it camping. It was a two player game about like, I don't know, very like Indiana Jones kind of like, you know what I'm talking about? That game, whatever game that was, had a similar kind of a feel to it. Yeah, I don't remember. You talked about it a lot for a while. Yeah, it was really good. I mean, it was a card-based two-player, I don't know, if one of our listeners knows what we're talking about, somebody's probably yelling at their radio right now. Somebody can search camping on the Family Gamers and come up with a podcast from three years ago when we talked about it. Yeah, we'll probably (laughs) talk about it. Bing! Just stopping in to let you know that the game we're talking about is Expedition Altiplano. Bing! We also, pretty much immediately after talking about it on last week's podcast, we went and played our copy of Splendor Duel. We did. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, this is way better than Splendor. It is really good. I mean, it's cut down to two players, so you've got that really tight back and forth decision making in it. It surprisingly, although the box is nice and small and compact, it takes up more room on the table than Splendor does. (laughs) Splendor is three rows of cards. Splendor Duel is three rows of cards and a board. I think the cards are bigger in Splendor, no? I don't think so. I don't know. Anyway, I really liked it. Yeah, I think that'll rise higher on the two-player game list for us, I think. Yeah, I think we have a couple. I was just looking over at our two-player games cube, and I think there's a couple over there that we could probably move on from. Yeah, uh, I suppose. And and slot Splendor in there. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that'll be okay. We'll figure that one out. On the airplane home from Tantrum Con, some people may have seen the picture I took that I played Grove on the airplane tray table. It was a little tight, but definitely playable. And uh, because you're not rolling the dice, it did not disturb the people around me, which was nice. What else? We played some more Unmatched. We did. Houdini and the Genie again. Played three player with you and Claire, and Claire was Little Red or something yep, like that. Claire was yeah. Little Red, you were Genie, and I was Houdini. I was really mean in that game. You were, and it worked out for you. Yeah, that's a game where being mean kind of worked out. I've been trying to get you to play a lot of Wild Tales, a pirate well, legacy. It's fun. We won't talk about that too much now because that's going to be our snap review in the break. You'll hear about it in a few minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I finally got a chance to play some Micro Macro Crime City. What'd you think? It's fine. I have heard people like put this thing on the wall and they color in the people when they find them as they like solve the mystery and that like as a concept is kind of cool. I don't know. It's fine. It's fine. I totally understand why people really like it. It's a super cool idea. It's a really enjoyable activity. It doesn't feel gamey and it really is best at like two to three people. Even with two adults, sometimes it feels a little crowded trying to look for the next Yeah, thing. and you have to get up and walk around the table. I mean, I don't know. It's not the way that I like to exercise my brain. Yeah. I like logic stuff, and this is not logic stuff. It's just no. to, like look around until you find it. It's, it's very observational. Yeah, it's very observational. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't want to knock it too much. It just, it's not really for me. Like, I'm fine never playing it again. But I'm also fine if Asher says, hey, dad, do you want to help me with some micro macro? Sure. Like, that's fine. 
Speaking of getting up and walking around the table, I played a solo session of Lacrimosa. I feel like it took me all day long. It really didn't. It was about three hours and I had a couple of interruptions in there. But my goodness, that game is large enough that because I was playing it solo, I could never like sit down and wait for someone else to take their turn. It was always, okay, I'm standing up and taking my turn. Okay, I'm moving to a different part of the table and standing up and taking the automata's turn. Yeah, so I have two feelings about this. Number one, I'm not a big automata person. I don't generally care for them. I feel like, I don't know, just watching you trying to work through the automata here, I'm like, look, this is just a two to four player game. Like, stop it with this nonsense. It was a really well-constructed automata yeah and and it it made sense what it was doing i guess it's just me then and i'm okay with that i also think that part of the reason why you had to stand up and move around is because you were taking pictures for the review which is hopefully coming out the same day as this podcast uh yeah hopefully so i think that if you put the two boards next to the center board the long way i think you probably would have been able to do it maybe but i don't know man i just sometimes feel like these single player modes are shoehorned in you know, just so that you can say that it's got a single player mode. I don't know. I don't think I would ever do it again. But for somebody who really likes this game and wants to play it more or wants to get better at it, the solo mode is good. It is good for that. Sure. I would rather play it with other people, but it's not a bad shoehorned in solo mode. We also played a bunch of Gift of Tulips. Uh, yeah. So the review for that will also be coming out soon. I'm trying to wait for the first day of spring if I can. <laughs> feels thematic i really like the weird push pull that's in gift of tulips it even says on the weird giraffe site instead of being a take that game it's a give that game and i'd say that's pretty consistent with how the game works like yes you get some points for keeping tulips and you want to have majorities in tulips at the end of the game But the main way that you get points throughout the game is by giving valuable tulips away to other people. (laughs) Mm. Yeah, I like the game. I just, I don't think we've played it with other people who also like the game. Yeah, we've mostly played it with our children who uh, who do not like the game. Which is unfortunate. There's just nothing there that hooks them. So it feels like a much more adult game. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that, definitely. But no, it's got some interesting dynamics and having a market that's hidden. You know, if you put cards into the hidden market at the end of the game, even though you may be banking on a certain thing, having a certain rank or whatever, it It can change. Or maybe you are the one who is seeding the market with all of this stuff. And so you put a bunch of resources into something that everyone else thinks is not worth much. And then at the end of the game, all of a sudden it is. So, So that kind of thing is interesting as well. Yeah. People may have seen on social media, Anomia Press came out with a print-and-play deck this week of tongue twisters. So when we had a snow day, I did my little crafty project and printed out the nine pages or whatever it was, and we played Anomia tongue twisters, me and all of the kids. They were all skeptical at first. They all had fun and broke down laughing because some of them are easy, but a lot of these tongue twisters are just like, it doesn't work. And you have to say it three times fast when you match with somebody else. You have to say the tongue twister on their card three times fast. Pretty much the standard Anomia rules, but with this nice little twist of it's no longer a trivia general knowledge game. It's just a can you read this and make your mouth say it. We have been super excited about Mall Peak ever since it arrived right after we got back from TantrumCon, I think. There has been a lot of Mall Peak getting played. I mean, we've talked about it plenty in the past. Nothing has really changed since 
our Kickstarter preview of it. Well, they added a solo mode, which Asher played through oh, and completely true. finished in like one sitting. <laughs> Not one sitting, but... Oh, uh, yes, one sitting. But he, he did have a sick day from school and he was just sick enough to stay home but not sick enough to not play games so he played through the entire thing yeah next on the list is naked court yeah so uh this was a really weird weird is the correct term weird is correct naked court the card game is based on the idea of the emperor's new clothes basically every player is both trying to put out a four-person court, an emperor, a king, a queen, and a jack, and clothe them. Once every player has a full court, whether they're fully clothed or not, then you move to the second round where, while you are still trying to keep your court clothed, you are also trying to use tailor cards to denude your opponent's courts (laughs) and take their clothes off. It seems very risque, but it's really not. It's super cartoony, and all of the quote-unquote naked people are wearing full underwear. I mean, there's nothing seen. Definitely, there's an implication. There there but, are a few yeah. things that are a little suggestive. Mm-hmm. Yep, um, yep, yep, yep. A couple of the corset-like items in particular for the women. But this was a neat experience that I'm glad a friend shared with us. Again, not a game that I'm going to seek out, but... I would be happy to play this with our friend again. I enjoyed playing it. Yeah. We also, in that same game session, played Starship Captains. Yeah. The more we're playing Starship Captains, the more I like it. I think the mechanics of how it all works fits together really nicely for me. But my goodness, for a game that really should only take about an hour, there is a ton of setup for this game. There is, and I really wish this game had one more round. Like It, it yeah. just feels too short for everything that goes into getting the game going. Well, it's one of those games where it doesn't really look like an engine builder, but it has that feeling of an engine builder where when you finally feel like you've got everything going, you know what you're doing, the game is over. I can appreciate that it stops a little bit short and makes you want to play more. But I also understand that you are not feeling that way. <laughs> it's funny because I actually played Lacrimosa the day after we had played Starship Captains. And these are both games that have a ton of setup and a ton of pieces. But the difference I found is that for Lacrimosa, once I've got everything out there, I'm good to go. I am moving around and there's not a ton of maintenance. There's you know a deck of cards or two that have to be flipped out. Starship Captains has a lot of maintenance. As you're playing the game, you have to keep moving tokens around, check that various things move on different tracks. You have to swap out pieces that you have for other pieces. You're taking tokens and then turning them in for stuff and then taking tokens again. Maybe we just need a better organization system or something, but it feels messy. Well, we certainly didn't use any of our normal like token holder things as we played this game, just for whatever reason. I think we were not playing on the normal board game table, so that might have been part of it. That didn't help, because every time we needed a token, we're like, okay, now where the heck are these tokens? Which bag are these tokens in? You know, that kind of thing. So that would help with it, but you're right. There are just a lot of tokens. Like, this is the kind of thing where, even though it would feel kind of superfluous, like having a space on the board where you're supposed to pile up the tokens of a certain kind would actually be kind of helpful. Because Probably, the, yeah. you can't put anything on the board. You have to put all the stuff around the board, but the board is big and you have your own player board. Like, it's just, it's a lot. You, you, know you I mean? have two 
player boards and the central board. It's a lot. Well, it's not even just the central board. It's also the three auxiliary boards. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> there are a lot of boards, and then there are a lot of tokens. Actually, and it kind of feels four like four auxiliary yeah, boards. <laughs> it kind of feels like you run out of places to put things because yeah. on your own personal board, everything has a place, but stuff that's in the general supply doesn't have a place to be. Yeah. I don't know. The game is fun, but there's just a lot of dangly bits. And I don't like dangly bits. I'm not a, I'm not a fan of dangly. Like, like, how far on the opposite side of the spectrum is this game from a game like Lacrimosa, where everything just fits right together yes. exactly where it's supposed to be? There's a couple of things, but once the game is going, th- those extra tokens, like, they all have homes. Like, it's great. Literally, once you have Lacrimosa set up, everything has a home, with the exception of the ducats, which are your money, and the story story point tokens, which don't get used all that much, but two little cups can hold those, and you're done. Mm -hmm. Everything else goes on the board, stays on the board. Yes, you might pick stuff up and shuffle it around a little bit, but it's not like, okay, now where do I put it? Now where do I make a discard pile? How do I keep that separate? There's none of that. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like the board game version of that feeling that I have where we're on vacation, where like nothing is in its home and everything (laughs) feels a little bit uncomfortable. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. The thing that is funny to me about that is that the player boards in Starship Captains are so well thought out and everything does have a home. Literally everything. Right. It's just that in the game as a whole, not everything does. And that makes it kind of frustrating. Mm Mm-hmm. I think the last thing on our list, we've been screaming through this stuff, but the last thing on our list is a game called Dice Cards. So this is a game that's going up on Kickstarter soon from Card Lords. It's been a long time since we've talked about Card Lords. Yep. The idea behind this game is that you have a deck of cards, a bunch of dry erase markers, and two dice. You deal out cards so everybody gets six, and then those are your roll and write boards for the game. So it can be all kinds of different stuff. And you can set it up so that at two players, you can have exactly the same setup. And at two or more players, everything is going to be kind of randomized around so that nobody's stuff matches. To give a idea of how this is going to work, they sent us this PDF with four what they call challenge sheets. Each of the challenge sheets has six pre-printed, pre-selected cards on them. Every challenge sheet is different. So we tried that out. The mechanics are your simple roll and write. You roll the two dice, you take one number or the other number, or you sum them. And you use that single number somewhere on your six cards. But every card has its own restrictions and different goals that you're going for. Some of them are all or nothing cards, which means you need to get six or 10 or 12 numbers on there to score any points at all. What did you think of the game? I mean, I liked it. It's a roll and write game. So you roll some dice and you put numbers on a sheet, right? I mean, that's, that's that's what it is. But I really like the edit, even though we couldn't experience the randomization part of this game that's going to be on crowdfunding pretty soon. But I liked the idea of it. And I liked the fact that you could totally shift your attention to a different card and you could kind of take stock of what you've got and be like, okay, this is the one where I'm just going to kind of park stuff that I don't really care about. I don't really care about winning this card, so to speak, right? Because you get 50 rolls 
and yeah. there are more than 50 spots across your six cards. So you're not going to be able to do everything, even if you get the perfect rolls. And I think that that's actually a good thing because I don't, I don't know, being in a position where I'm like, man, if only everything went perfectly, I could perfectly fill everything out is a very different <laughs> feeling than I have to optimize and make a decision and it's okay because it's impossible to do everything. Like those are not the same feeling. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? And I actually really liked that about this game. I thought I was doing great and you smushed me in this too. But I didn't smush you. I did a little better than you. Yeah. Well, you won. You won. Second place is the first loser. So, <laughs> But... I compare this to other roll and writes. This introduces randomization, but I think about and compare this to other light roll and writes. And this introduces a specialization and difference between players in a way that we don't normally see. Like there are a couple of games like um, the Animal Kingdom's roll and write and stuff like that that have some minor differences on the player sheet, but the overall setup is always the same across everybody and so you're making similar decisions with the same dice in this game you're getting the same dice rolls and making wildly different decisions <laughs> with them which is neat yeah they felt fairly balanced from my perspective so i mean i think if i played it a lot more i might get an idea in my head of which cards were kind of more effective for the effort to get the points kind of thing which cards are easier which yeah. cards give a big reward yeah, yeah, yeah exactly stuff like that but certainly in our first play we didn't have that kind of insight yeah right so it felt good i enjoyed playing it for a hundred cards and some dice and some dry erase markers it should be relatively inexpensive i don't know what the price is going to be but uh, I'm hopeful. Yeah, me too. I think it's a really neat concept and should be nice and portable as well as being compact and short. And that's it. That's it. However, it is March. And you know what we didn't do last week? Uh, we didn't have a monthly report. We did not because we had a guest and it would be yes. worse. So we're going to take a few minutes now to look at our February monthly report. And he tried, I did the thing. You did do the thing. Yeah, courtesy you, you of Tantrum Con, I did you, the thing. You crushed the thing because you didn't write down a bunch of your games from Tantrum Con. So uh, you asked me to play extra games with you. And then you went back and looked. And I'm like, you don't have these like six games of Simlo that we played. I know. I, I mean, that's probably <laughs> my problem more often than not. Like, I'm sure that I'm already missing things from March. I've got seven games in March so far. Which we can compare notes later. Behind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anitra is my secretary, even though she doesn't mean to be, which <laughs> I, I appreciate. I kind of hate it. Wow, okay. I'm not going to say that again. All right. My H index was three. As was mine. I had four games that I played three times. So I games, have five games that I played at My least games three were times. Similo, Kuzuka, Wild Tales, and Wonder Woods. In addition to Similo, Kuzuka, Wild Tales, and Wonder Woods, in my games I played at least three times, I also have Unmatched. I figured that was going to be what it was. You're a better parent than me. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty easy when they say, hey, would you play Unmatched with me? And I'm like, I got time. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> all right. So to put all of this in perspective, locations for the month of February, 48% at home, 52% at Tantrum Con. Funny, mine is 50% at home and 43% at Tantrum Con. And then 7% so, like unknown or something uh, like that? Restaurant and airplane. Oh, yeah, sure. That works. Unsurprisingly, this means that I played most of my games on Fridays and Saturdays what i know i know it's crazy me too yep i think at home we must play the most on mondays i don't know i guess that's the day that we're most likely to not be booked in the evenings i'm not sure i think at home we play a lot on mondays and saturdays how many times did you play a game in the month of february 33 all right yep, 33 plays of 22 unique games okay cool. So i played six games more than once all right so 
Yeah, I mean, we can go into the deep stats, but nah, that's, that's good enough. enough. That's good yeah. enough. All right, well, uh, why don't we take a break? And then when we come back, we will welcome our new community members. And then we'll talk about the toys that make the noise. Oh, no. <laughs> we'll be right back. say the best camera is the one that you have with you well sometimes the best board game is the one that you have with you and that's one of the reasons why we're big fans of button shy games they're always coming up with innovative ways to encapsulate big game mechanics in a small 18 card package <laughs> this time we're covering an 18 card legacy game where how you play each time affects future plays this is a snap review for wild tales a pirate legacy by dustin dobson and milan zikovic published by button shy games Wild Tales is for one or two players, and a session should take about a half an hour. Usually, in order to make a game this small, you need it to be either really simple or really clever. Given that this is a legacy game, you can bet that the graphic design here is super smart. The same sets of cards can be scenes, resources, and objectives or threats. It's really smart how every element of the cards is used with clear iconography to show what they're used for. The Pirate's Log is the campaign card on one side and the round tracker on the other. This combines with the big boss for every scenario to create progressively more difficult conditions as the play session goes around. Your objective, which you need to trigger four times per character, works the same way. The graphic design really is brilliant here, and the actual art is no slouch either. It's cute, it's effective, and it doesn't take away from any of the other aspects of the cards. So, Anitra, let's talk about the mechanics of Wild Tales. There's a folded rules pamphlet in the little wallet, but you'll need to use a smartphone or something else with a web browser to help you set up each chapter scenario as you play through. In each scenario, two characters take turns gathering resources and making skill checks to complete those objectives and defeat the threat within seven rounds. Basically, this is a boss-battling card game. Each turn follows the same structure. First, you'll check the active card and see if the colored icon on it triggers a crisis effect, such as adding another captured card under the boss, discarding resources, or making some of your skill checks harder. Whew. Then you get to take an action. You can either gain resources um, and then tuck the active card under your character to show which resources you gained, or you can spend resources to gain the levels on your objective card, or you can attack the boss to release its captured cards. Attacking the boss is this type of skill check, but some resources also require skill checks, whether it's bravery, savvy, or deception. Reveal the next card in the active stack and add its value to your current skill value. Some characters may also be able to discard resources to temporarily increase the skill too. If the final result is at least as high as the requirement you've passed, unless the revealed card has the same color icon as the previous card, and that's an automatic failure. Wah, wah. A round ends when there are no cards left in the active pile. Shuffle the discard pile, capture another card under the boss, and shift the round tracker on the pirate log card, changing up the types of bad stuff that will happen in the next round. Game lasts for up to seven rounds. So how do you actually win this game? <laughs> you need to have both characters achieve four levels on their objective card, and then successfully attack that boss threat to win the game. Okay, winner, how do you lose? 
Well, you could lose by simply failing to win by the end of the seventh round, but you can also lose if the boss captures five cards or if a round ever ends with an empty discard pile. Win or lose, check your results on the campaign book website and find out what to do next. As you discover the world of new Laorian pirates, <laughs> you'll add new abilities and restrictions, mostly by adding stickers to a few of the cards. You'll also get new characters, letting you have more flexibility in how you want to handle some of the new challenges. There's nine scenarios, so finish all of them to complete the story and get a final score rating. So, Andrew, let's talk about our expectations for this game. Well, I mean... I'm really intrigued by the idea of a button-shy legacy game, but I wondered how you could possibly do that in 18 cards. We certainly expected multi-use cards. We've seen that in a lot of button-shy games before. But the event cards in this game do even more different things than I've seen before. Even with all these uses, the event deck for any scenario maxes out at about 13 cards, because you just need some cards for the actual game. So we knew right away that we were going to have to be careful about card management. Very careful. I expected that the rules might feel a little disjointed, since that's sadly common with Buttonshy's more complex games. And I was right. The rules are laid out to make reference easy, but that doesn't map well to learning the game for the first time. Ah, that's what we expected. What surprised us about this game? Well, Wild Tales was billed as a solo legacy game. So I am really surprised to find that I like playing it better with a second player, like you. <laughs> You're always using two characters to beat a scenario, and it's just easier to keep track of who's doing what when each player has a character they're responsible for. Even when I failed a scenario multiple times, I could see aspects of where things went wrong, and I really wanted to try again and fix it. That's usually where I needed your help. I didn't expect the game to need an internet connection. It's not really a problem. We're on the internet a lot in our house, since you only need it for a setup and the transition to the next chapter. It really does feel more like referring to a slightly interactive story guide than a necessary tool for the game. So, Andrew, would we recommend Wild Tales? Well, if the idea of a solo legacy game intrigues you, or if you like boss battle games and want to try something that's a little bit unique in that range, we definitely would recommend Wild Tales. There's nothing in here that's inappropriate for kids. And playing a game of Wild Tales always makes me want to play more, whether I win or lose. But the rules are complex enough that I'd stick with the ages 12 and up that are recommended. Certainly at least to get started. Well, all right. And sure, what are we going to rate Wild Tales, a pirate legacy from Button Chai? We're going to rate it four pirate flags out of five. And that's Wild Tales in, in a, a snap. snap. And we're back. Hello, everyone. <laughs> so we are going to start by uh, welcoming three new members to our fabulous community. <laughs> this picture of this cat is ridiculous. He is fabulous. so fabulous. <laughs> All right. Welcome to Manuel. Welcome to B. And welcome to Monica. Hi, Monica. Who was on the show last week. Welcome to the Family Gamers community. We hope that you're logging in and talking about some games that you've been playing with your family or with the kids in your life somewhere or something. So speaking of community members and playing games with the kids in our lives mm -hmm. this week's topic was originally suggested by our daughter <sighs> so we featured her favorite game at the top of the show i 
I feel like it's a it's a game long time favorite nostalgia a, trip. Yeah, it occupies a place in her heart. But I, I don't think, think it's her we have mentioned game. before this may have been the first thing that she ever bought with her own money. That tracks. <laughs> when she was about five. Yeah, and we still have it. And we still have it. Littlest Pet Shop Mall Madness or something like that. Mall Madness, the Littlest yeah. Pet Shop edition. Oh my gosh. Okay. Anyway, Cat. so the toys that make the noise. So in all reality. We all have some kind of noisy game that drives us nuts. But noisy games are not all bad. There are some okay ones. They definitely have cons, though. Uh, Yeah, so let's start with some of the bad things about noisy games. They can drive us nuts. Yeah, I feel like that's the most obvious Like the non-players are just like, stop, get it away from me, whatever it is. No no mas, no mas. And that's part of why we opened with this Littlest Pet Shop game, because like the little animal noises and like, there's a clearance at the dog accessory store like or whatever it I'm is i just shaking now ah so done <laughs> um but even if they're not driving the parents nuts you cannot play noisy games in an environment that needs quiet mm-hmm. we ran into this several years ago now trying to play space team with some friends after our children had gone to bed it really doesn't work well no <laughs> We have a couple of comments from our community about the cons of noisy games. Courtney White talks about what those noisy games sound like to her, and she says that they sound like games to avoid. (laughs) (laughs) Stephanie Knight told us that she hates the game Bugs in the Kitchen. So I had to look this one up. It's a really cool idea. It's got a little nano hex bug. If you've ever seen those hex bug toys, yep. it's actually got one in the game that you flip a switch and it just starts going around and looking, quote unquote, looking for a path. But she says that little nano hex bug makes a surprising amount of noise, especially within the game box, and it really grates on her. Let's talk about some pros about some games that make noise. So I alluded to this a little bit already. Noisy games can be more engaging because the noise makes you pay attention to the game. It can add to the fun with oral feedback for doing the right thing or doing the wrong thing. And that's true also with games like, I don't know, Beasts of Balance, which thankfully, because all the noise comes from an app, you can make it quieter. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, you get kind of the like, oh, this is a good thing. Oh, this is a bad thing. This makes me think of perfection. A lot of people like perfection. It always made me anxious. (laughs) (laughs) playing it as a kid because that ticking timer and knowing that when the minute was up everything was going to pop up unless you got all 25 pieces in place i would like freeze up yeah i mean a picture like that like a picture of that game is like the poster image of like why young adults have anxiety now right (laughs) Uh, maybe But I feel like perfection is a good example of how it can go either way, good or bad. Like some people really like that game and like it because of the tension. I mean, if you're going to talk about games that make noise in that way, like you could even talk about a game like Operation. Sure. Which that's for another generation older than us. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I had it. But like, I mean, talk about a game that gives you anxiety. But (laughs) I didn't even know if you're allowed to sell that anymore. (laughs) (laughs) But let's talk about a couple that don't have any electronics and are still noisy games sure how about jenga or click clack lumberjack yeah sean snyder wrote in and said that he likes the sound of falling pieces 
I mean, it definitely is a kind of a victorious sound, like when you're playing even something like a Rhino Hero or something like that. When you hear those cards fall and you're the other player, you're like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a sound of victory or defeat. On the flip side, Hungry Hungry Hippos is also no electronics involved. That has never entered our house. Yeah, I, I, Somehow. I, I don't even know how that's actually the case. As a parent, I dislike that one almost as much as Candyland, even <laughs> though I know Hungry Hungry Hippo is a lot of fun. I had it as a kid. I now, I want to go call up my mom and apologize. <laughs> it's so loud. Now, there are some noises that people actually say that they did like. The taboo buzzer, for example. Yeah, that surprised me that Wait, so many... I, I did not expect that. A bunch of people are like, you know what? Yeah, I like that taboo buzzer. And I think it's that feedback of you're pushing the button and... Nope, wrong. I get... I mean, I suppose... What was that game that we played recently? The uh, Neanderthal Oh, club? Poetry for Neanderthals. Oh, po- yeah. I mean, there's something very visceral about, you did something wrong and I will react immediately, <laughs> right? So, sure. so maybe that's sure. you know kind of what they're talking about there. What about, did you ever play Boggle when you were a kid? Um, not really. Not really? I, but, but that you know, that does make me think of the, the pop thing in Trouble. Oh, the pop bubble. Yeah. Yeah. That, I like that sound. That sound That's is a great comforting sound. to me. I like that. The patent on that needs to, like, expire or something so that somebody else can make a pop matic Is that the only game. game that has a pop matic I think so. That seems so weird. I know, right? Wow. But... I mean, Boggle, it is basically just, it's a huge amount of letter dice. And, and you, you just shake, shake them up. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm familiar. I know the game. I just, it's not really something sure. I played. But we can also talk about some other classics. Like we mentioned Taboo, we mentioned Jenga, Perfection. We recently released a review, I don't know, a year, like a year ago, ago now yeah. for Tapple, which is a fun game that has that auditory component to it. Yeah. It, you've got the ticking timer, the dick. De- tick, mm-hmm. tick, beep. Mm-hmm. And it combines it with a really satisfying physical feedback of pushing the lever down. So right. that's that's a really cool combination there. It's definitely one you don't want to play in an environment where some people want quiet. But the whole game is geared towards shouting out words and being noisy. So it all works together, I think, in that one. The, the whole package is good. So we mentioned Hungry Hungry Hippos as a game that we are not huge fans of. I mean, there's a small part of me that is a little bit nostalgic about that game, but like not enough to save it from the tower of hatred that apparently exists. I completely get why it's fun. Like, I remember having a lot of fun with it. It is a fun game. But if you are not actively playing that game and you are just around it, that sound of just the marble plastic (sighs) chaos, it sets my nerves on edge. Okay. I can understand that. And we already mentioned Mall Madness and some of the other talky games that repeat themselves over and over and over again. Yeah. So, okay. We, we have a list of games here that we've enjoy uh, or have continued to enjoy. But before we talk about this list, I do want to separate two kinds of games when we talk about this idea of games that make noise. Because one of the games that you've already mentioned is Space Team. Mm-hmm. The game itself doesn't make any noise, <laughs> but it's impossible to play this game without making a lot of noise. So that's one kind of game. And the other kind of game are games that make noise. And that could be just like a physical component of the game that actually makes some noise. Like, I don't know, the giant D20 in categories, for example. <laughs> or it can be the 
actual like voice or sound effects that some electronic some of the electronic of the game is made. Sure. And the reason why I think it's really important is because now we're seeing tons and tons of games that have really latched on to that auditory component. And they might be things like the remake of Stop Thief. Okay. Yep. Right. Yep. But they also might be things like the fully voice acted narration of familiar tales or of Return to Dark Tower or of tons of other games. Those are games that make noise. Those are games that make noise, but it's a completely like different kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? It's almost more like a media experience as part of the game. Yeah. I mean, it's an audiobook. Like or in some ways, if it's yeah. really a narrative kind of yeah. thing. So, I mean, all of those are, are kind of different aspects of this idea of the games that make the noise, I guess. So I just wanted to kind of mention those because they're all, I think, important things to really talk about. And it really shows that even though what we think of, like the mall madness, like the perfection, like the operation, like the concept of noise in games having a meaningful effect, like has matured over time. Yeah, right. I agree. And, and sometimes you get really interesting things like the game The Hear Me's. Yeah. So th- this is the opposite, sort of. The Hear Me's is a game where everyone has to be very quiet because the clue giver for the round is drawing a shape on like a little hard Velcro board. It's like a textured board. Yeah. And you need to listen and try to figure out like, oh, that was a straight line. That was a curve. That was probably a circle. That was a long straight line. Like you have the palette of images that the person yeah. could be drawing. Um, there's about 16 of them, I mm-hmm. think. Mm-hmm. But that's making noise in an entirely different way from any of the other things we've talked about so far. You are intentionally making noise one person at a time in a way that everyone else has to listen to. So, I mean, my point here was basically to say, like, this is still a mechanic or a component to board games that is still growing and evolving and changing. And people are coming up with new ideas that kind of fit this thing. When we think about this immediately, we always go back to the old <laughs> stuff, right? And I just think the it's electronic important- games that we hate. Yeah, exactly. And I just think it's important to talk about the fact that this is still something that is important in the greater world of board games. Yeah. We talked about these different categories. And I think it's interesting that Tapple, which has come up two, three times now, bridges that gap. It is a noisy game in multiple ways. Sure. So sure. I think that's cool. Let's mention games with shouting or at least very loud talking. We mentioned poetry for Neanderthals. I think that's true. I mean, you're not being super loud until it gets a little rowdy and right. then you're getting louder. Right. Yeah, I mean, I don't... That doesn't really fall into the category of a game that makes noise to me in quite the same way as Space Team, which we've already talked sure. about, or kind of the classic example of a game that requires screaming while playing, Pit. That is the shoutiest game. Yes. <laughs> One last one that we haven't mentioned at all yet, and we reviewed quite favorably several years ago. And our kids still pull it out and play it with regularity. Yeah, and that is Heist. As I was quizzing the kids ahead of this episode, I asked them, like, are there any games that make noise that you don't like? And one kid said, yes, Heist. And it turns out it has nothing to do with the noise aspect of it. It's just not enjoying playing this game with siblings who... You know, don't take the game seriously. Yeah, that particular child is a perfectionist. And if you are not doing everything up to their standards, you are Yeah, well, heist is in that category of it's a game that makes noise, but you have to stay fairly quiet to listen to what the narrator um, is telling you to do. And a little uh, Easter egg 
the recorded narrator in the game Heist is Rob Davio. Yeah, and he does a great job of it. He does a good job. Our eight-year-old can still quote the game. All right, get in, get out. (laughs) It's so funny. All right, so that's just kind of some of our thoughts on the toys that make the noise, the board games that make the noise, and the state of the industry with regards to noise in board games. As parents, there is a place for games that are noisy or games that get your kids to be noisy. And lest you think that all games that make noise are for children, someone in our community also said, what about atmosphere, F-E-A-R? That is a horror interactive board game that has a narrator and a timer and is not the kind of game I would want to play, but seems like it's really immersive and neat. Yeah, I think that these games really are kind of the predecessor to those app-driven narrative games that we talked about before. I mean, I think of like the Star Trek DVD game and the VHS game before that. These these are the the spiritual successors of those games. Yeah. A little bit more interactivity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, we've talked to many members of the community already about the games that make the noise, but we'd love to hear from even more of you. And there's lots of different ways that you can reach out to us to share your thoughts. And you can find us all over social media at Family Gamers AA. Or you can find the Family Gamers community, which you should join if you're not a member, by going to thefamilygamers.com forward slash community or by going to Facebook and searching for the Family Gamers community. Just like Monica did last week. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Mm -hmm. Monica. Thank you. Of course, you can always email us, andrew at thefamilygamers.com. Anitra at thefamilygamers.com. Check out our Family Gamers and Play Games with Your Kids merchandise. You can find t-shirts and hoodies and more stuff at thefamilygamers.com forward slash merch. Please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. Tell your friends about the podcast, even if it's maybe not your favorite. If you have friends with kids who are interested in board games, maybe they should give it a shot. And if you really love the podcast, please take five minutes and leave a review and a rating at Apple Podcast for us. Or look for us on wherever you subscribe to the podcast. Don't forget, you can send weird foods. We will eat them on the show. Andrew has been researching. I saw Dr. Pepper flavored peeps. Ew. That is two of my least favorite commonly acceptable foods. I think I might have to find the Dr. Pepper uh, flavored might. peeps. Yeah, I, that might happen. Anyway. I don't know. You can send weird foods for science. To the Family Gamers, 60 Auburn Street, number 528, Auburn, Mass., 01501. The Family Gamers is sponsored by First Move Financial. Go to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers to learn how the team at First Move Financial can help you pile up the victory points. So thanks to all of you for listening. Thanks to all the members of the community who gave us their feedback and suggestions on noisy games. I hope this helped you and got you to think about noisy games in a slightly different way than you had before, even if they are still the bane of your household. (laughs) I just want it to be quiet. (laughs) All right. Well, we'll be back next week with an exciting guest that we actually met at TantrumCon. So until then, everybody, play play games games with your kids. kids.